0: Hi everyone, it's Teresa here. On today's episode, we're bringing you a chat about Normal People, which is a series that launched back in May. So you've probably heard of it by now, and maybe you've even had the chance to finish binging it. Uh, We recorded this conversation on May 8th. Obviously, that was a long time ago and feels like a bit of an eternity, actually. We were hoping to put this episode out a couple weeks ago, closer to the release date. But in the light of world events, we decided we needed to take a break from discussing television and film production for a bit. And I would refer you to the website, tonebenderspodcast.com, for more information about the things that we've been talking about in the last couple weeks. We're continuing to put up resources as they come to us related to racism in the sound community specifically. Um, So we thank you for being on board with us on that topic. And we hope to be able to be involved in more conversations about that going forward. But as for this episode, today we're talking about normal people with a really interesting, passionate team. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Here's Tim.
1: Hey everybody, welcome to Tonebenders. My name is Timothy Mearhead and I will be your host today. My co-host today is Teresa Morrow. Teresa, how are you doing?
0: I'm doing okay, Tim
1: just doing okay right? that's yeah, what life in okay. lockdown is like <laughs> uh, we're, we're okay we're getting by yeah and so we are all in lockdown and one project that's come out during the lockdown is a show called normal people and it's been released on hulu in the states on the bbc in england and just on, what's the channel that it's on in ireland
2: uh, orte oh rte radio television air so <laughs> rte Okay.
3: Yeah. Uh, or? Or? T-E. T-E. Yeah. Okay. If it's any consolation, though, when I move to the UK, when I say 80 or, it makes people laugh. Because <laughs> cause the question I always get asked is, 80 or what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. But it's normal people. It's getting massive ratings. And there's a reason because it's really well done. It's a very engrossing project. It's 12 episodes, about half an hour long each one. And you whip through them because the second one ends, you're just mashing on the button to start the next one. It's a really cool show. It starts off about uh, two teenagers in high school and grows with them over a period of time. Teresa, how many episodes did you watch after you hit play on the first one?
0: As many as I could get away with, probably seven. Yeah, wow. <laughs> Yeah.
1: so I, I, I think and I did I'll say five or six. that I didn't,
0: uh, it, the, the series is 12 heart series based on the novel by Sally Rooney, which I understand is an incredibly popular novel, but I had sort of missed somehow. So I went into it not even really knowing what to expect. So that was really interesting to get into the vibe of the show without really knowing where it was going to go.
1: Yeah, I hit play on episode one at, uh, 10.30 at night, and then ended up going to bed at like 2 a.m. mad at myself because, like, I had to get up early and I'd wait not <laughs> wasted, I'd enjoyed the time, but how did it fly by so quick? So, uh, mm-hmm. we should introduce our guests today. Joining us today are Anna Bertmark. She's currently in Brighton. She's a sound editor on Normal People. Her past credits include You Were Never Really Here, which is one of my favorite movies, uh, Gwen and God's Own Country. Also joining us are Niall Brady in Dublin and Steve Fanagan in London. They were the co-supervising sound editors on Normal People. Their past credits working together include other Lenny Aberson projects, including Room and Frank, two of my other favorite movies. So I'm really <laughs> excited to meet you all. Uh, Steve and Niall also are working on the upcoming uh, Mary Curie biopic Radioactive, which played at the TIFF Festival here and had a lot of people talking. So I'm looking forward to seeing that soon. Uh, welcome to the show, everybody. This is awesome.
3: Hey, Timothy. Thank you so much for having us. Hey, Teresa. Yeah. Thank you.
2: Hello.
1: So, had you guys read the book when this project came to you? Let's start with you, Steve.
3: Yeah, so um, the interesting thing, actually, about this this adaptation is that... uh, Element Pictures, who are the production company behind it, actually acquired the rights to the book before it was even published. So oh. Sally Rooney's previous novel, Conversation with Friends, was obviously a huge sensation, and rightly so in its own right. And Element had actually already optioned Conversations with Friends. And so it was a uh, it was something that landed to them, with them when it was still a manuscript and just about to be published. And Ed Guiney, who's um, one of the... The two owners at element uh, his partner andrew lowe is the other and um, he read it and obviously fell in love with it and immediately thought about lenny as a, a person to attach to it so at the time we were actually working on a film with lenny called the little stranger and so i just remember one day coming into work and all saying to me oh hey look i i just saw this news article element and lenny have optioned this book and uh and so it's as soon as it was published um i i I think we all read it um something that i i was really excited to buy uh went out i inhaled it in about three days i think i probably would have read it in one go if i hadn't been working at the time and knew that i would end up staying up all night to finish it and then have been no good for work the next day but it's just one of those um hopefully like you've described with the series i i i think the book Every time a chapter ends, it's not necessarily a pause you want to take as an audience member or as a reader. It's actually just an invitation to dive further in. and So I find it really, really compelling and very moving. Um, Like in its structure in the
2: book, the chapter ends and then a chapter starts and five months later and every second chapter is from either Marianne or Connell's point of view. So it, it, it has an episodic nature to it in the structure of the novel that makes it very compelling to read. But also massively challenging to turn into a TV show because you're very interior with the characters in the the novel and jumping from chapter to chapter. So you really get their interpretation of events and um, how they perceive the events, the way the guys have done it and managed to pull it off in TV form is brilliant, you know, because it's very hard to get that level of subjectivity. In TV, you know, everything's in the novel and it was a brilliant starting point. But there's no doubt that they've adapted it for TV and made it something that is it's it's a piece of film storytelling. Both of them are equally good, if you know what I mean.
3: No, no, like, like, and I think it is that you know one of the strengths of this obviously is that Sally co-wrote the six of the scripts with Alice Birch, and Alice Birch is this incredible screenwriter, and she wrote a beautiful film called Lady Macbeth, which was deservedly quite a sensation a few years ago, and Marco Rowe, who's a who's a really great Irish screenwriter, was involved in an episode as well. So you're sort of in the ideal scenario where Sally's an exec producer. And she's also been intimately involved in the adaptation. And then that material goes to a director like Lenny Abramson, who his adaptations of Room and of Little Stranger, which are actually both incredibly subjective books as well, um, show how suitable for something like this he would be from the outset, I think. And then Hetty MacDonald had this amazing adaptation of Harrod's End that she did for BBC... Last year. So you saw that, it, and, and Hetty just explained as the second block of episodes director. And Element Pictures' room is obviously theirs. They've been working with, like, they've worked on all of Lenny's films. They've also worked on. Yarga last few films, including the favorite. Um, so they're they're like this incredible company. Like, I think the work they do is very much independent cinema, but they somehow infiltrate the mainstream with it. There's an alchemy there that is just so impressive and so exciting. So when you hear these people are attached to something like this, you kind of think, well, it couldn't be in safer hands.
0: So when you uh first got those scripts and started your process um as as supervisors um what were the kinds of things that came up in spotting maybe spotting discussions or just overall discussions with lenny and maybe with sally uh and other people involved in terms of how you wanted to express these ideas and characters etc in sound
3: well, I think, I think one of the interesting things to to talk about maybe in terms of our process um, with Lenny is that he always likes to bring sound on early. So he started to talk to us about sound. The first call myself and Niall had, Niall, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but it was in pre-production. And so, you know, we're having some conversations, we're getting sent drafts of scripts and we're sort of being allowed into what's going on early on. And Lenny has been gracious enough to do that with us from sort of Frank onward for me. Um, um, Niall's worked with him for longer than I have. Niall, this is Niall's seventh project with Lenny. This is my fifth. So he involves us at that point. Um, so we're having some loose conversations and, and and some of those conversations were about getting access to locations that they were going to film in so that we could go and record. And I got access to all of their houses, to Trinity College, to the school that they're in. And was just able to sort of have a really uh, glorious free reign of those places to go record. Um, so, so that's kind of part of where the work starts. The, the other thing that we did, and Niall could speak to this as well, is we, we started to talk to Neil O'Sullivan, who is the location sound mixer. And Neil also worked on Frank. So we've, we've all worked together on a few different projects at this stage. But it, it, it's always good to just have a conversation with each other yeah. before anything shoots.
2: There's never like a formal email thread that says we're all going to meet up at this time and we're going to talk about it. We get sent the scripts and then in passing, we may pick up the phone or we may email like Steve did have access to the crew and access to the location. So we were, we were involved in so far as producers would give us an idea of where they are and what was accessible during the shoot. So so that's really helpful when production is open to chatting with you and and knows who you are so that when Steve rings up and says, well, I'm in Dublin, can I record? And they get access to locations from which is really difficult. And it's really hard in my experience to get that in with producers and and the production manager or the line producer, because post is such a separate thought and everybody's just so busy on location that they they don't really have time to think about wrangling you but if the email lands Lenny will make sure it gets to the right person or the right person will will address it or we've already had a conversation with the producer so they they make things available to us if we need them now it was great access on this one and and it was helpful because it was Dublin and like it was down the road now on a job like Little Stranger similarly they were on location in the UK and so myself and and a large part of the that film is set in a house and they were on location in that house for a number of weeks but myself and Steve travelled to England for a weekend during the shoot and got full access to the house to record stuff on a Saturday and a Sunday when the crew weren't there. So, like, if the email lands, they they point it to the right people and then we get a little bit more access, which is really, really helpful. You can't underestimate how useful it is. Then Steve records that. It's very diligent when both recording it and then labelling it and giving it to the cutting room to both Nathan Nugent and Stephen O'Connell, the editors. So they... immediately have a great store of material to start leaning on, you know, so they, they see the benefit and so mutual benefits all around, but it just starts with a conversation and it's hard to say because we, you know, we're like so many films in myself and Steve, I just did a count on myself and Steve have worked directly together on 18 productions and with Lenny, that's five of those. So we just, there's an informality to it without it being a, kind of email thread that exists saying we're going to meet and we're going to talk about this thing it's just it's much
3: softer than that and it's really lovely you know you just can't sort of overstate the privilege of it and, and the pleasure of it and I think that sort of access and that sort of um, I suppose that collegiality to it is just invaluable we're building a library for the picture editors that's um, that's two things it's all these original recordings that we're doing and then I I tried to spend some time pulling just a a very specific library that I think will be useful for the show based on reading the scripts. Um, The other thing that we generally have access to on these projects is dailies. And, And while you obviously don't, you're not listening to everything or you're not watching everything, but it's so helpful to be able to dip in and out of things and just get a sense of what the space looks like and and by the same token Neil then on set if he's having a tough day he might give me a call or give Nile a call and say hey would you take a listen to these sound rolls and tell me where we're at and so just just to have that openness and for him to feel like you know those shoot days he could be finishing at eight or nine at night and he feels okay with phoning us and knows that we're going to be cool with taking that call and that we're just in it in some way, shape or form. And, and I, I can't really overexpress how lucky and fortunate we feel to be in that position on something. It's a real pleasure. It, it makes everything feel
2: easy, but we try and put yourself in a position and some, you always try it on every production and people either bite and go for it and, and enjoy that way of working or they don't and that's fine as well. They're just different ways of working but with Lenny and Nathan and Element they do enjoy that, you know. Like similarly on another film I worked with Element there was a car in it all the way through and at the end of the production they gave me the car to record and then they came and towed it away and dumped it. There was It was in bits. <laughs> but it, still you could make that call and they follow through on those things which is just...
3: And the the important thing to say there is that Nile asked for access to the car. They didn't just you know they were like I oh, was we'll just trying to and it, and the car was a character in the film, a really yeah, central right. character in the film and the fact like i i didn't I wasn't working on that film. I was here at the time in London, I saw it at the London Film Festival, and the car sounded incredible in that film, and you know it like most of the film takes place in this car because this family is living out of this car, and if Noel hadn't done that, you just wouldn't have had that sense of reality and that sense of texture and I think hopefully with any of this work that's what you're trying to bring you're trying to bring something that's unique and that's appropriate and that feels authentic to to these types of projects and and, and like to follow on in terms of the question that you're asking in terms of how we spot and how we then proceed with the work uh, you know it's a this is again we're not sort of we don't formally sit down and watch episodes together and like, I don't think, I, I was thinking about this through the day, I don't think I've ever actually spotted anything with Lenny over the years. The way that we've tended to work is that myself and Niall and Lenny's editor, Nathan Nugent, have worked together on various projects over the years. And between Lenny and Nathan, they decide when it's worthwhile for them to pass something to us. And it will—that work that they've been doing in the edit will always have a sophisticated take on sound in it as a as a really healthy start point. Um, they're just very clever and very hard working with that stuff. So you, so so really, the first point of uh, us beginning to do some cutting work on the episodes or, or on a film with them is that they'll send us something. Uh, It might be scenes, or it might be reels, or it might be episodes. And what we then do is Niall goes off and starts to work on a dialogue pass, and I'll go and I'll start to work on an effects pass. And at some point, we'll get to a place where Niall is sending me back the dialogue so I can do a bit of a temp mix in the cutting room. And, And then we'll send a DME on to Nathan and Lenny, and just let them respond to it. And Sometimes that's them coming to the cutting room and listening to it and us playing with it there. And sometimes it's them just taking it, putting it into the Avid, seeing how they feel about it. And maybe the next time we'll hear from them on it is a phone call we get that says, "That's you know this is good, this isn't good, here's what we think we should try. Or it might be that we get the next turnover back with an AAF and that AAF contains those stems and sometimes the stems will be playing and sometimes they'll be muted and sometimes they'll be turned up or down and you just you're sort of the conversation continues in in that form as well so that there's sort of just this really lovely ebb and flow to the work so you either you're having conversations or you're reading their intent from what they've done with the material you've sent them and then you work on and you know again it's just a really lovely fluid way to be able to work.
0: And you're doing a lot of this, a lot of these conversations over Skype or on on the telephone, like you're not, you're not...
3: None of you are in the same damn place. (laughs) Yeah, well, well, often, often we are, right? So like traditionally, up until this project, myself and Niall would have been in a facility next door to each other. And I moved to London about two years ago. And so when we were approaching this project... We talked it out and I sort of felt like, well, if I'm working from London, I don't think it's going to be a problem because myself and Niall can FaceTime with each other whenever we feel like it Um, and we can talk the project back and forth that way. And we have a pretty good workflow between us where we don't need to duplicate media when we're sending stuff back and forth. We're sending session files and we're relinking, send extra material as we need it. But it's quite a fluid system we've set up over the years. And so... Those conversations are quite simple that way within the sound departments. And when Anna would have come on to the project, we sat and had a coffee. I handed her a few drives. We talked about the feel of the show. She'd watched a few episodes at that stage. And, you know, we were able to just kind of organically talk it out. And then as Anna started to do the work, she just sent me work in progress. And At that point, I was in Dublin mixing some episodes, so I was able to sort of pull it up on the mix stage after hours, have a listen, send back very minor notes because the work was brilliant. And, (laughs) you know, the back and forth sort of basically evolves from there. And then in terms of communicating with Lenny and Nathan or with... Hetty and Stephen in the second block, Nathan would give me a call and he would say, here's where we're at with this. What do you think? How about we try this? Can we swap this piece of music out? Can you try X here rather than the Y that you've offered? And we would sort of do a back and forth and I would just send an update. And and Niall's the same with Nathan where he's having conversations about ADR and stuff, but I'll let him explain that. Yeah,
2: like uh, the slight difference is that... Uh, Um, Nathan Nathan and Lenny were cutting in Outer Limits, which is the facility I work in. So they were in the building. So I could, you know, bump into them while we're making coffee or knock on the door and say, have you got a moment? But generally, insofar as like the ADR and the queuing, again, very rarely do you sit down and watch an episode. They'll put supers up on screen where they want ADR or where they need a new line. They're very good at, problem solving within the edit, you know, you're not finding that suddenly whole scenes are being rewritten for for something. So there doesn't tend to be a whole lot of ADR because they're just very judicious with it. And when I when I get the various turnovers, I'll do a technical or pass and taking in also any of the stuff that they have on screen and then if i have any suggestions you know i'll send them an EDQ script that will say that's a suggestion or you know various reasons they they look at them if they have time or maybe they don't look at them and it might not come up till we're in the adr session and it's like oh will we do this line do you want to do this line and it'll be yes or no so it's always evolving you know most episodes I do try and at least sit down with Nathan and just do a quick scan through and he'll just scan through to the bits that he wants to look at. Um and it's interesting, you know, on a obviously on a TV schedule the demands on the directors are actually on Hetty and Lenny, their availability is much more constrained because episodes are all at different stages. So you might need them to talk to you about AD or in an episode. They might be presenting to their execs on an episode two or three down the line so that informality really works for a show like Normal People it's it's hard to be rigid when there's there's so many moving so many moving pieces you know the really interesting thing about Lenny is that he really tunes in when he needs to like and in his ADR sessions his ear is so great you know and being able to to go okay yeah this is what this scene is doing even though there's a, a story arc across 12 just quickly tuning into what's needed at that point you know his presence is there when you need when you need it and he's all will always answer a question if he doesn't have time to answer the question there and then he'll definitely come back to you over the years of working with Lenny the greatest thing that we get is we get a bit more time he allows more time because he likes to be able to sit with stuff and that and it's not that the, the schedules get massive. It's just that there's a enough time there to have that moment of consideration or a night to think about something. The informality of the the workflow works for these shows, you know?
3: And then and then I think the flip side of that then was entering into the second block of episodes with Hetty and Stephen O'Connell, her editor. Um, and obviously because we haven't all worked together before it made a lot of sense for there to be a formal spotting session. And Hetty is based here in the UK, so their cutting room was in London. So I could travel into those spotting sessions and Niall could FaceTime in with us and we'd watch through the episodes, but having watched the cuts in advance, and then we could just talk about what they were thinking and feeling about the episodes. It wasn't like, now there's a door closed here, I want that door closed. It wasn't that, but it was more to talk about I suppose it's that it's that lovely thing that happens with sound where you can talk about how something needs to feel or how something needs to build or release. And so you get into that lovely subjective language around the ebb and flow of an episode rather than it being about the sort of minute detail of what's maybe obvious on screen. And so that was a lovely process as well. Um, for that second block and the the spotting sessions were generally relatively short because we'd watch one or two episodes and talk about them and as Nal said they would then be working on either they'd still be cutting those episodes or they'd be cutting the two after or the two after that so there's this constant sort of demand on their time and it just the way that that was all carved out for us felt really nice actually and and uh it, it's also that thing where when you're working with someone for the first time you want them to feel comfortable with you and you want by the time you get to the mix for you to be able to have a sense of each other so you can have a bit of crack and a bit of fun in and around the stress and strain of a mix you know you just, so again like to be afforded that access and that time is just really about as good as it gets. And then, uh,
2: you know, you go into a show thinking you're going to work on every episode, but as as it actually, uh, the demands of the schedule became, or the show changed, like more people came in on the show. So we had a, Nigel Mills was a dialogue editor who worked on a couple of the, the episodes in the second block. So again, the show was resourced enough that we could expand out. It just keeps it all moving quite fluidly. in In the planning of the schedule, but myself and Steve, there's always kind of, OK, actually, we're going to need more people here or something's going to contract or expand.
0: So kind of on that note, I'm, I'm sort of thinking that because there's sort of a core of people who have worked together with Lenny for so long and you have a trusting shorthand, with you, Anna, when you come in, what sort of things were you talking about and how were they translating their ideas about the show into more concrete Sound concepts.
4: Yeah, well, um, it was my first time working with uh, Stephen Nile. I'm known Stephen. Was it like the Irish guys versus everybody else? (laughs) <laughs> not at all um well i think it was january wasn't it? i think i steve when you emailed me and asked me if i uh, was available to help out uh, on the second block for for a, for a couple of episodes on the effects and um, i was absolutely thrilled i hadn't read the book but i've i most people i know have and it's one of those books that you heard about and saw everyone on the london tube um sitting reading mm-hmm. In the, you know, initially we had a chat and a Skype, I think, and then we met for a coffee and we had a a great chat. I think Stephen was really good at really explaining about what the show was about and, and, you know, the concepts and how he'd worked on it so far. And I think it was as, you know, because I was on the second block, the first block, it was very well established um, I felt it was really up to me to have a watch through and I was very lucky to have access to all the, the, the kind of the session that you shared with me so I could have a look at how all the other kind of episodes have been mixed and track laid. You really have to pretty quickly get a really good sense of what you're looking for and how, you can, how I can best contribute and, and what's important. So, um, yeah, no, it was, it was brilliant. I mean, Stephen, you, you were very, very good at making it very easy to do a good job in the the time that we had.
1: Hey everybody, I just wanted to jump in and let you know of something really cool that's happening this week. The International Game Developers Association is hosting two panels celebrating black game audio composers with the Interactive Audio SIG and the Black in Game SIG. These panels will feature eight black game composers sharing their experiences and thoughts on inclusivity. Panelists will discuss networking while black, how blackness affects perceptions of professionalism, and activism burnout. Join the IGDA for these panels at 5 p.m. Eastern on June 23rd and 10 a.m. Eastern on June 26th on the IGDA Twitch channel. That's twitch.tv IGDA. To find links, go to tonebenderspodcast.com, go to this episode's page, and you'll find them right there. Okay, back to the normal people chat
0: what what's your sense of what was important for this particular project i don't know maybe that's a tough question to answer yes. <laughs> I, th- I think
2: i think so i think it's very definite from lenny as a director and as the show had been conceived there's there's Veracity is really important. Truth is really important. So there's not going to be a sense of adding sounds that didn't exist in the world Mm. at that Mm. point. It's it's kind of a, a naturalism, but detail is really important, but not overfilling. It's that thing of only... You don't cut every sound that's on the screen, but there's a very definite flow to the picture edits. The picture edits are so strong in telling the story and and where to look and what's the detail that needs to be picked out from shot to shot. So naturalism is really important and space and air. People think that's emptiness or quietness. It's actually the opposite. It's just lots of nice details at appropriate times. And that's kind of that's always been Lenny's, our, our experience of working on Lenny's stuff. Like, you know, like in ADR and that sort of stuff, breaths are very important. Clicks and ticks and mouth clicks become important because there's space and you, you create space and that's where the details should come through.
0: I think the mix is really interesting in that way. Um, you were saying at the beginning of our conversation how it, the, the interiority of the two characters' points of views. And that's my sense of the mix is you're only really hearing what that person would be aware of in those moments. So even when we're in these, you know, we're in the middle of Trinity College Quad or something like that, and you're not hearing every single footstep. You're not hearing, there, there's busyness, but it's you're staying inside that character's world.
3: The ideal scenario in editorial is that you're cutting sounds but you're also having an editorial ear on it and by that I mean you're trying to make decisions on things that you think are appropriate or aren't and you're trying to pull focus. Uh, Obviously all of that refines through the entire process and some of the back and forth we're doing with the cutting rooms, sorry, all of the back and forth we're doing with the cutting rooms is giving us input on that. Like, sound editing is about collecting all of the sounds you think you need, but it's also about trying to focus on the stuff that you think is really important. And, like, I I can't um, overstate how easily Anna locked into our groove for that. Like, we've known each other for a while online, and we've met a couple of times at various events here, but it was our first time to work together. But if you watch any of Anna's work like it's the sort of work that I love if you go and watch God's Own Country you have this you have those two things that we're talking about you have that realism but you also have that interiority you know that that was where that decision was easy for me and and, and because I knew we had a rapport as well I knew that like I was going to be mixing as she started to work and so there's a point where I can't be that useful to her beyond our conversations and then beyond the back and forth we have as she sends me sessions. And uh, like some of the conversations that we were having then were about some of the minutiae, like, should we try and do this so we can pull focus here? Or should we try and do that so we can pull focus here? And the other like incredible serendipitous beauty of that was that Anna, Got to, ma- got to cut effects on the Swedish episode and in <laughs> Swedish <laughs> and yeah. so like in the same way that that myself and Niall are Dublin natives and, and 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 all of that Irish sound we are working with is sort of intimate and beautiful and interesting to us and the, then the Swedish stuff was to Anna so that there is a really lovely sort of happenstance in that.
2: So th- there's a real beautiful sense of place to the Swedish episodes that that is, you know, I really love the sound of that episode. And, you know, it it, it hands off from the other episodes and it doesn't feel like there's a change of gear at all when when you're trying to conceive of the sound of a show, it is to make sure that continuity happens through the episode, that you don't get a a big gear change because somebody else is using a whole different library or a different palette Mm -hmm. of sounds. And so it's just about being confident to share your sessions, share your work templates, share your workflows and not believe that if I, if I show them too much I'm going to lose something or they're going to get the next job I think you just got to be confident in in that way that that and and what's best for the project and you know that sense of sharing and and collegiate nature like that's that starts with the producers and starts with the production and feeds right through to the show you know it's, it's just a great way of working I've always find it really interesting to work with new people because you suddenly go, "Oh, you can do that in Pro Tools. I didn't know you could do that. <laughs> how, did, how did you do that?" <laughs> and it's it's so it's so amazing to learn. And like, it's funny in Ireland. We had a long time where it's a very small industry in Ireland, and we're all learning f- from each other. So what happens is a feedback loop, and we were all doing the same thing. But then we worked on a show in two thousand and nine. We worked on Game of Thrones. Which uh, brought in a whole team of people, and suddenly you learn so much about session templates, workflows, and 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 working with other people is just—it's the best, you know. It's just just the best way to learn. Because and obviously Tom Bender's podcast—that's the other best place to learn. But, <laughs> but, but you know, you, you 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 do exist in a in your own vacuum, and it's so interesting mm. to work with mm. other people and discover what they do, and I, mean, mm. I learn off other people every yeah. day.
4: I totally agree with you on that. And it's so nice getting that uh, session, you know, and seeing this, all these episodes and, you know, Steams Mix and, and get a really good insight about how you work and, the, you know, the layout and things like that. Uh, you always learn something new, mm. um, for sure.
2: And then yeah,
3: you I forget d- it when you start the next job. And you yeah.
2: go, oh God, Definitely. how do I do all this again?
3: <laughs> <laughs> Wait, <when? laughs> I think it's more that on the next job, you realise that you're sort of back at square one where you're like, I need to now figure out what this film is or this show yeah. is, and I need yeah. to spend enough time with it and and chip away at it to figure out what sticks and what feels right for it, and and essentially to get to a point where it's sort of telling you what it needs, you know, and it's rejecting stuff in a really honest way so that you know, well, I've tried that and that didn't work, so now what happens next? And it's kind of part of the joy of this job is that you kind of you you just because you've worked on things and you've finished them and they've worked out it doesn't necessarily make you feel like well i totally know what i'm doing now so i don't i don't really need to think about this anymore like every job is that same imposter syndrome and that same oh shit now i have to figure this one out <laughs> uh, yeah. which is like which
2: is hugely rewarding but what's always nice i think is the, what and why i love sound editing and i'm sure the others is is every time you're just presented with a scene which is essentially a puzzle that you just have to work through and you get to the end and and that's always the best bit you know like scheduling and doing ADR and all that stuff is is the work but there's nothing like just being presented with a scene and going okay right now I'm gonna puzzle my way through this be it a dialogue pass or an effects pass I, I really enjoy that that puzzling through of a scene and a sh- an episode and you know, where you get to and what you discover. And and that works then into the mix, obviously, you know, because you're always cutting with the intention of hopefully, OK, well, it might mix this way or this. If I put that there, that'll be clear as to what the intention is in the mix. And hopefully that works through. And, and speaking to that line of communication, myself and Steve, if you looked at our text messages through from September last year to now it's just a series of quick chats question mark quick chat before we jump on FaceTime so there's a lot of a lot of as much as we're working remote there's a lot of kind of time for a quick chat it's it's the it's communication between Mm. the people helps an awful lot and, and and being confident enough to talk to other people and know your short your shortcomings as well And no actually i don't know the answer to this one or i don't know how to do that or you know i think that's a positive and healthy thing to be able to do i
1: think that when people f- uh, are presented with the idea of sitting down and watching a high school or college-based uh program the template tends to be you know, when the kids are in the hallways, there's going to be, like, hip-hop playing in the background. Like, l- youth culture, throw everything at it. <laughs> and this is not the vibe of this project. Music is used really sparingly. There's long sections without any music. It's just a very different approach to high school, sound-wise. Was that presented right from the beginning?
3: Yeah, I, I suppose, like, obviously, the there there is that sense that the way that school is and works in Ireland is definitely different to how it would be in the US or how it would be in Canada but also I think back to Teresa's point about the interiority there is a sort of a demand on what we're doing right from the get-go at the opening of the whole series is Marianne walking down the corridor and there's something about the way that's shot and the way that that's cut that says she's not quite in this world This world is happening around her. There's an immediate clue for us from a sound point of view that we now need to treat this space that way. How is the writing, directing and performance and and all of the other craft that's happened in the shoot orientating us to this moment? And then what can sound do that will underscore that and will support that and potentially add, add something to that if we're doing our job right? And so you're just trying to feel that out. Then by the time you get into that first conversation in the corridor, she's watching as Connell and his friends interact. And so you have an opportunity there to sort of allow her eavesdrop on that situation and allow us as audience members to eavesdrop on that situation. And and so, you know, there's a there's a certain amount of chaos there, but there's also a focus been pulled on. Who's important and what we need to hear from them in those moments. Anything that we've attempted to do with sound is very much driven by how the show has been presented and how it's been shot and then edited, and 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 then worked on in that collaboration. In that case with Lenny and Nathan, so yeah, I I, I think there and and I do think there is something quite Irish about it as well. In that, like if you th- I suppose there's that thing like you're also not maybe used to seeing people in school uniform in that same way that that a school like that is when when i think of high school i think of people being allowed to wear whatever they want and i think of you know or you know I, I and i have countless joyous memories from my childhood growing up watching stuff that made me want to be in those high schools but school in ireland is a little bit different right now
2: yeah yeah yeah
3: it's, <laughs> do you
2: know it, it kind of it's it might sound slightly exotic or slightly different as a school experience, but that was my experience of school, except the bells are much more modern in the school now. In my day, it was a proper bell. (laughs) But... It's it's, the rhythm of the edits, this picture edit is so important to those decisions and where we're able to pull focus with the effects and and the, the backgrounds in the school. And, you know, I mean, the school presents itself as a lively place at the beginning, but we get to go to that almost zero additional sounds by when they're having that very intimate conversation while she's waiting to go into detention so I mean it's it's the structure of the episode and the structure of the the writing and the the editing and the directing has allowed us go from a very busy place you know at the beginning of the day and naturally find ourselves in a, a very quiet space at the end of the day so you it's it's very hard for sound the sound department to introduce that kind of dynamic if it's not in the picture, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. a great thing about this show is they use extras really well. So you're able to do that, do that pull in focus because you're presented with quite busy scenes and then those all that business is always just, you know, the moments before you get to see Connell and Marianne looking at each other or, or that's the real thing in this show all the time. They fill the f- picture quite well, you know, with extras, but then get into the the meat and the meat of the 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 <laughs> scene which is the Connell and Marianne's. It's conceived of it in, in the show as well, that that scenes are always a little busier at the beginning. But as you move through the scene, again, I see if you can talk more about it. It's the, the one of my favourite scenes. Connell's at her house and she comes in and they have the very long conversation that leads up to the first
3: kiss, which I'm sure is not a spoiler for anybody. <laughs> you know, Connell shows up at her house and she lives in the countryside. It's a, it's quite a beautiful setting. She lives in her house is set back from the road, so she, it's separate from the world. You know, there's kind of quite lovely trees and greenery around. So you can imagine there's quite rich texture to the animal life that might be around there. And so when he gets out of the car, we can play with that. We can sort of say, okay, this is a rich environment, and it's, and it, and we're allowed to play that with a certain heightened reality that. Allows us a certain baseline for sound, and he knocks on our door, and they go inside. And similarly, inside the house, we're still hearing some of that outside, but we also then have the opportunity to give that house an identity. And you think about, and you know, you think about a house like that, and you expect there to be maybe a grandfather clock, or you expect it there to be just these elements that su- suggest a certain class and a certain uh, dynamic between them. Um, and and his mother is working in the house, but we see her head off. Um, and so we can actually imagine that she's travelled quite far away from them. So whatever she's doing, we don't need to hear. She's somewhere else in this beautiful big house. And, and I suppose by the time Marianne comes in and talks to him, we've started to play with the level of that background and so by the time they're close together we've almost pulled it all out because it's no longer relevant to them and therefore it's no longer relevant to us as an audience and then we get to focus on the breath or the swallow or the stomach gurgle or the tiny little cloth movement or the footsteps that Foley have so carefully created for us and and we get to just maybe play with them in a way that's a little heightened. You're imagining both of their hearts racing as they get closer to each other and they're leaning into this moment. And if we as viewers can lean in with them and maybe hear something that's a little bit larger than life, then hopefully we're in that moment with them. And I've heard um, Ed Ed Geinney, who's the producer, the exec producer, he was saying like the thing that he finds remarkable about Lenny Uh, And it's so lovely to hear a producer talking about a director like this, but what he finds is that suddenly you become completely unaware that there's a lens between you and what's happening, and therefore you feel like you're in the moment, so you're sharing a moment with them, and I suppose we're trying to figure out sound opportunities that allow us underscore that, but as Noss says, it's there in the picture, it's there in the storytelling, and it's ours to get wrong, <laughs> because in a way the work is so good that it's it, it's telling you what it what you should do if that makes sense. I
1: find it always very interesting because, like in a you know the big superhero movies, explosions happen, trucks crash into each other. It, like you got to find new ways to make explosions interesting and stuff, but you kind of know in your head what you're going for. Where I imagine in a lot of these scenes, you watch it and you're like, okay what am I going to do here? Like, how do I tackle this? And it, it, although you're saying it does speak to you, I think it speaks to you, I would imagine, in a way of uh, elimination more than addition. Like you have to try things to see if they work instead of going in, going, this is what is going to happen.
3: Absolutely. And and I think you you always end up with this sort of uh, this roadmap into it from the guide track. Um, because Nathan is thinking about this so hard in terms of how he cuts episodes. And so here's where we're at with this. And let's see if I travel down that same road, what can I bring to it? The the, the dynamic, like if you're trying to make something really loud and then something or something really intimate, it's great if you have something to go to intimate. It's great if you have something present that allows you pull out And if you're going for something loud, it's great if you have something quiet beforehand. That sort of natural dynamic is so rich if you can find ways to manipulate it or play with it. And I think for us here, you're sort of trying to start the sequence loud. And it's not loud in an explosive way. It's just loud Mm -hmm. in an environmental way. And, And then by establishing that baseline, as you begin to slowly pull things out, and you're pulling them out over time, so hopefully it's not like, where did that go? It's just that natural sense from a mixed point of view, I spend a lot of time trying to figure out the shape of that. And 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 sometimes you're almost there and it feels good, but you're sort of like you can feel it in yourself that it's not quite as good as it could be. And that's what you're always chasing. That sort of last 10%, you know, now this is I'm not questioning this. Now I feel like it's natural and that handoff between Whatever those elements are feels like it couldn't exist in any other way.
0: The one thing we haven't mentioned a lot about is uh, the score and also the part of the soundtrack, which is, uh, I think you were calling it needle drop music, um, so specific songs that are used throughout. Uh, did you guys know, first of all, which songs were going to be used in the episodes and also, um, were there, was there um, a rough cut of the score for you to cut against?
3: Yes, to both of those. Lenny and Nathan worked really hard on what the source needle drop music would be in the first six episodes. And so as we were beginning work on them, a lot of the music that is in the finished episodes was there. Um, and so you're immediately playing with those tracks and then as Stephen Rannox, who's Lenny's regular composer, has literally done everything Lenny's ever done, as he was developing the score, uh, he sends the demos to Lenny and Nathan and they begin to put them against pictures, so once something had stuck... Nathan would make sure that his assistant editor Stephen Kidney would pass that material to myself and Nile, so we have a sense of what it is and I love that I suppose we have that sort of fluidity to the way that we're working which is common across you know most people's modern working practices where we're as we're editing we're mixing you know and it's that always be mixing sort of idea and so when you have the music that is what's going to be in then you have this great opportunity to begin to figure out what the shape of it is and like another another simple example of that was the nightclub material in episode three was all chosen before they shot so when they (laughs) did playback on set it was those tracks. Yeah. And so, and, and I did boom tracks for them where I sort of gave them rhythm tracks so that when they couldn't play the song because they were doing dialogue, mm-hmm. they could at least play a really low frequency metronome. And, and I just got a mail from Lenny at the end of a shoot day going, we've got to shoot this on one day, whatever it was. Can you do something that will allow us play with that? Um, and so you you end up in this situation where those scenes couldn't play with other music. Or if they did, we as viewers might feel something's amiss, uh, which I think you often do in those scenes when you, you watch them yeah. um, in shows. And then... Absolutely. There was music that was been swapped out as we worked, but we were always been kept up to date, whether that was in editorial or that was as we were mixing. And and and, and that's just the natural ebb and flow of these things. Some things don't clear or a better option appears. We had two really good music editors on this. Kathleen Flynn worked on the six, first six episodes and Richard Armstrong worked on the second six. Uh, and so the material might be come through them to me or it might just come directly from Nathan or Stephen because they would take it and cut it their way and then send it on like Nathan's uh, I cannot overstate how Brilliant he is with music. Actually, himself and Lenny and the way they think about music is like next level. And I think the musicality Niall was talking about and how Lenny listens at ADOR is because he's this incredibly musical person as well. So he's got that ear that tells him what the rhythm and the pitch of something is like. And so, so they're making these great decisions and and they're always keeping us updated. Like I've I've worked on things over the years where you could be in a mix and suddenly all of the music is different, mm-hmm. you know, first day of final, all of the music is different. Yep. And that's, that's really hard, you know, uh, because no one has had an opportunity to live with it, but also the music that was there has served the, the film so well that they were able to lock picture. And so that means that it is part of DNA. Suddenly when that's pulled away, other things can appear like their problems like, and, 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 and sometimes that can feel like a picture problem. Sometimes it can feel like a sound problem. And so, you know, in the in the ideal scenario, that that material has been drip-fed to you as decisions have been made. There were two brilliant music supervisors on this. There's a, an Irish music supervisor called Juliette Martin. Um, and she, you know, she picked a lot of really interesting, uh, incredible, independent Irish music. So there's a great amount of that in there. And it's used in really clever ways and then there's a, a US based music supervisor called Maggie, Maggie Phillips. Phillips Maggie Phillips yeah. my apologies and, and Maggie works with Hulu all the time and she worked on Moonlight so you kind of get a sense of where that input is sort of adding to the DNA of this program and the series. I think and something.
4: I see you nodding vigorously. No, it's it's a really so important for, for the whole architecture of the film and all the sounds that are, I mean, obviously the track lay as well, that um, has been kind of built around a lot of the music, so...
3: Mm-hmm. I know, am I right? Mm-hmm. Am I right in thinking that you you did you you did have a lot of the music, didn't you, for the episodes you worked on? Yeah,
2: it was there. Mm. Yeah,
3: like it's quite unusual
2: for me at the the level generally for TV shows to resource it in a proper way where there's a music supervisor and a music editor. Element, as a production company, just don't cut corners on that stuff. But people talk about, oh, the music is great on this show, it's because they worked really hard to make it great. And they didn't go, oh, it's just background, it's on a radio.
3: Everything was thought about. I'm just thinking about a really good example of that in one of Hetty's episodes, in episode 11. Connell jumps in his car to head away from his house and when he turns on the engine the car uh, the car radio comes on and it's literally 18 frames of music that you hear but they cleared up an original piece of music for that you want the audience to not question it so you don't want like a drum loop from a, a library you want something that's no this is a real piece of music
0: as a viewer you're like oh, that's what connell was listening to exactly an hour yeah. ago exactly and yeah. why was he listening to that then you just yeah. move on but it's important yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah, and I think, I think, I think it think really is. We're all old enough to know that the music of our formative years, I'm still forming at my 40s, but of your teenage <laughs> years, it's so important and it's so evocative. It's got to be taught about and and really interrogated and made feel right. It can't be, a, 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 here's, here's all my favourite tracks. Maybe everybody... Lenny and Nathan and Hetty and Steve may not love all the music that's in the episode, in the show. I don't know, but like they make decisions that are right for the show. As opposed, to, oh, hey, here's all the here's all the really great tracks I really like at the moment.
0: My feeling was like there's just enough. I went to high school in the 1980s. This is not a story about me, but. The, the overall impact of the show for me was it, it takes you right back to all of those feelings And it just seems so real 100%. And uh, just those few 80s and 90s tunes That are slipped into the soundtrack They fit so perfectly in with the other contemporary music That's in the show But then you hear that Elliot Smith song And you're like, this really is about my life <laughs> <laughs>
3: <That's> <laughs> I'm right so there with you
0: too.
3: I love it, that's so great and I think, so, you know, Such
0: a clever choice
3: and it's so like again it's just for me it's a mark of just really uh, lovely smart filmmaking um and i think the 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 other point that you made earlier about the space between music the fact that we're not in a a show that's wall-to-wall music even though it's uh you know it's a teen 20-somethings drama is really it's a real it gives you a gorgeous playing field for sound um because when music comes in it really you you know as an audience member this is important this is, i'm not just been hit with another track for the sake of it i'm i haven't heard music for 10 minutes and now or for five minutes or whatever it might be and i remember my f- my first conversation with anna i was saying to her look our effects will play on the show and um, because there will be lots of space and where there currently isn't music no one's going to bottle that they're not going to get freaked out and suddenly go oh oh let's put it piece of music in here just to make sure we're hammering home this emotional beat they're going to trust the performance they're going to trust the writing they're going to trust their cut and and they're going to give us space to uh, play that natural world you know in in my opinion then when music does work and when score is used suddenly it's got this whole other emotional impact Um, that that's very hard to achieve if everything's wall to wall
0: but it's not a total departure either. Like um, it's not a, um, here's the montage. Like everybody else can like put their feet up for a minute. It, there's still sound. The songs, like the needle drop songs are kind of weaving in and out a little bit. It's not that sort of like typical 90210 moment or something like that.
2: <laughs> there's there's <laughs> a beautiful, like when they, hook, when they meet again in college, um, it's a great scene at the party, but then they get together and then they, be, this very intimate conversation happens again. All the crowd disappears. Logically, it's like, "Where's everybody gone?" But we're not. We're not in the world of logic. We're in the world of storytelling. But then the lovely needle drop that happens there is a Fiona Regan track called "Dogwood Blossom." Dogwood Blossom comes in yeah. and it starts at the party in in the room and then moves across into her next morning.
3: Isn't that right? Does a start at the part. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it comes off the radio, possibly, Mm. you know. But it it, it was fascinating, actually, with that. I remember uh, when we were mixing that, Lenny really wanted to make sure that I didn't push it into score too quickly. He wanted it almost to stay in that sort of diegetic space until after we'd crossed over the cut into the next morning. And I thought that was really interesting because, again, it's like, it's that idea of not, feeling like you need to overdo something you don't need to overcook it uh, there's nothing that needs to be compensated for here it's just a natural flow you don't suddenly need to crank the music and make everyone feel something it's like everyone's feeling it and this music is just part of that which for me um I, i'm kind of in awe of as a film fan and as a tv fan when someone does that you know i think about other shows where that that sort of confidence is there even though there's these great needle drops like something like Big Little Lies and I loved your conversation on that show with the crew from that show and it was hugely influential to how myself and Niall began to think about work on this show just because you have these great tracks doesn't mean that needs to be all you do you could do that but actually if we stay in some of the reality as well we're in close with the characters and when I think about music and how it presented itself to me over the years of my life it's it has a context it's never it's never the track in a vacuum it's always the track somewhere and when I hear that track later on I might be able to be transported back to that party or back to that time on the beach or back to that time I was sitting on my own on the bus in my headphones or whatever it might be but it always has context it's never it's never in isolation. There's a couple of places in the show, very few in the series where we do just do that with music. And that's by design, obviously, from the offlines. And it's not our decision. It's Lenny or Hetty and Nathan Stevens' decision. And we're trying to figure out the best way to do it with them. But you, suddenly the impact is more because it's not just another, here's a cool song and a cool montage. It's yeah. never that. It's always something that's, that's hopefully more emotional than that
2: say, at the end of episode nine, a big thing of the series as you watch it is the last track or the last song that brings you into the credits. But on episode nine, they chose not to do any music, but just stay in the free air of the... Of, uh, I'm not going to give any spoilers of where Marianne is at that point. But again, there is a decision. It's not, uh, OK, we're in the show and we've always got a killer track at the end, so we have to find the killer track. It was OK we're strong enough and the show deserves enough that we can just let these credits play out with the the air
3: you know And, and it, that that like that sequence actually would be really interesting and you should totally talk about what you did there because the, like the way that you described that to me was so personal and so you know i, I just think it's really worth you talking about that
4: yeah, I want <laughs> to know. You. Um, well, thanks. Um, well, I've just kind of felt that I was just going with the with the photography really, and, and the and the editing there, um, and, and obviously there was no track there at the time <laughs> so I felt it was just, it's just lent itself so so well to to the idea I got just to just let the amb- ambience play out and, and really kind of to make it differentiate from the other episodes and to really make a point of it's a very it's a bit of a turning point in her life and um, it's just it's very subjective and I wanted to kind of reflect that and see if you see if, you know, you try things out, you try ideas out and you see if they stick. I are sending that uh, to you, Steve, on my first pass. And then you're like, yeah, yeah, great. Let's just, just keep that for now. And I was like, oh, OK, cool. <laughs> <Yeah>.
3: well, <laughs> was a great, thing where yeah. I, I couldn't, like, I was sort of listening to it going, well, actually, there's, we don't need to imagine this in a different way now. It's just that's that's doing what we need to do. and You know we weren't sure there could have been potentially music there or not but we knew that we were prepared if there was a decision to definitely go without but i remember you also saying to me so we're we're in a snowscape at the time and i remember you talking to me about your experience of that acoustic uh, in in a swedish way
4: that's the thing snow especially when you got a meter of snow or even half a meter of snow it just absorbs everything um, really well. You don't have to be very. You can just walk quite. I mean, there's all. You will hear the traffic, but it's just most of the sound is absorbed by snow. So it's just very still and uh, almost a hermetically sealed kind of environment. So um, it's very intimate. You hear your sometimes even your heartbeat if you're, you know, walking through that that heavy snow. It's a very cinematic kind of moment. I thought, which is quite um, not every day you you get those opportunities and in, in, in shows like that. So yeah, no, it was an absolute pleasure.
1: Well, I feel like we could talk forever, but unfortunately, uh, I think we got to wrap it up there. Thank you very yeah. much for sharing all that information with
4: us. Oh, this
3: thank was really you, great. thank you for Thanks taking so much for taking the time with us, yeah. and yeah. we apologize in advance for the edit you're going to have to do on our <laughs> ramblings. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it'll be fun. <laughs> but it's so um, it's so great to hear that you enjoyed the show, and and I mean that as viewers, and that you know i'm i'm uh, it's it's really lovely to get to talk about it and I, and i think for us as well most you know it's always really nice to talk about something after the fact because i think when you're in it it's you know you're really you're just in it and when you get to have a conversation like this afterwards you get to kind of think it out a little bit and you get to remember things and and it helps you hopefully sort of bring something a perspective that you don't have to the next piece of work so thanks so much for that
2: As all sound professionals, we all just, you know, we work very hard and work to make a show as good as possible. And everybody does that every day. But it's just so wonderful when so many people get to see it and so many people have such a strong reaction. You just don't know that when you're working on something and you you never think about that. And Why would you? You just deal with the the show that's presented and it's just really great when it gets out there and people are so positive about it and so positive about the work and it's the thing that gives you nourishment for the next one,
3: for sure (laughs) Congratulations, you guys did a great job. Yeah, Yeah. it's very very moving stuff, yeah well, that, that means the world. And, and as I said, GN Males, we love the show. And for me, it's my film education. I I listen to it so often when I'm on my way to work or I'm on my way home for work. And it gives me that lovely uh, inspiration to try to figure out what how to solve the next thing that we're working on. So. We love the work that you do and thank you so much for what you do for sound as a community of people and also just for the craft in general. I think your show is just a very special thing. Wow, thank yeah. you very much. That's good news. Yeah. Likewise on that one.
2: is produced by Timothy Muirhead, Renee Coronado, and Teresa Morrow. Theme music is by Mark Strait. Send your emails to info at Follow us on Twitter via at the Tonebenders and join Tonebenders Podcast on Facebook. Support this podcast. You can use our links when you shop at Amazon or B&H or leave us a tip. Just go to tonebenderspodcast.com and click the support button. Thanks for listening.